Hey, welcome, Christians. We've got this, not perfectly, but relative to the world, we've got this, or at least we should, right? This podcast series in both Gospel Rant and later in Haven't Heard That Before is meant to be wildly healing, life-changing, right? It should make a difference. And because here is a Bible study uh, on a particular phrase that's meant to jazz even the most hurting among us, the loneliness and most isolated among us, and we mean that. And, and it, well, like I said, we should have this, we Christians, but even in our short lifetime, Christianity has evolved or devolved a little or a lot. It's constantly being marinated in, in secular humanism, which is everywhere, and deism, which is everywhere, dualism, which is everywhere, and it's changed. So to be clear, when I say secular humanism, don't think evil, don't imagine uh, you know, a dude with a red suit, pitchfork. For the most part, secular humanists want to be better. They want a better humankind. And gospel Christianity wants that too. The difference, as I said in earlier podcasts, is this. One depends upon our own wiles and efforts and hard work and, and will, our choices and capabilities. And the other ultimately depends upon God and the power that comes from God working around us and through us and in us. There's an overlap between the two, right? So how do you know which one's which? Well, here's a test that we're using. Where do you automatically run to when you mess up? When you feel hurt, experience injustice, racism or loss, or when you feel lonely or like you are a disappointment? Uh, to others or to God or the language we're using in the dance when you feel not enoughness and not connectedness? Do you automatically knee-jerk to working harder, demanding more of yourself and others, being committing to be better next time, being more committed to doing the right things next time? Or do you run to God's arms who loves you, experience his love, and there ask for his power uh, working through you, his sense of redemption for you, his adoption for you. And here's another test. How would you answer this question? Is God ever disappointed in me? Well, if you're like most Christians, you may think, well, this is a slam dunk, but, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Christianityism would say, yeah, he's disappointed in you often, to tell you the truth. The gospel says not at all. And, and there was a previous podcast. Check it out. The great seminal news that God really does love Jesus' followers as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, as we are, not as we should be or could be. We can't add to that. We can't take away from that. And that includes all of God's disappointment and things that we've done. He's ultimately disappointed in every choice I've ever made. He's a screaming perfectionist. But uh, to, to fall short of, of his standard is sin, which the wages are death. He's not disappointed. He hates my falling short, right? And so ultimately, we could say he was disappointed on Jesus with the disappointment that he had uh, for our actions. 2,000 years ago, it's done. So his love for us, his, his um, uh, resolution of all disappointment, and so effective absence of disappointments towards us is true for us, not because of anything we've done or not done, how good we've been, 
Said or not said, it's true because Jesus' life and death mysteriously imputed this into our bios. God was critical of Jesus on our behalf. He was disappointed in Jesus on our behalf, right? And he was angry at Jesus on our behalf. It's just done. And if we were to, by faith, look up into the eyes of our Heavenly Father right now, the heavens would open up. We look into the face of our Father, humanly speaking. We would never, ever see disappointment towards us or criticism or disgust, ever. Isn't that great news? It's hard to believe, but that's what the simple, uncluttered gospel says. Christianityism is just hesitant to say that. So where would this matter the most? Well, did you know that experts are saying that all over the world there is a new epidemic? By the way, uh, my wife and I spoke to a pastor and, and counselor in the U.K., uh, today, even just before I did this podcast, and uh, the, the counselor and, and the pastor, but the counselor in particular, was saying that that is true in, in the UK, this epidemic of loneliness, and that would include Christians. People of all ages are feeling more isolated. The pandemic made it worse, but it was bad before that. They're desperately, consciously or subconsciously searching for significance, security, and belonging, more than I can recall in my lifetime. Uh, Check out these uh, recent statistics on loneliness. The best guess at numbers of loneliness, in our term disconnectedness, the percentage of Americans who responded that they regularly or frequently felt lonely uh, between 11 and 20% in the 70s and 80s. But in 2010, the study popped up to 40 to 45 percent. That's 2010. That's, that's uh, you know, 11 years ago and definitely higher now. And note that there has been no observable difference in those numbers, whether you're a Christian or not. So 50 percent of the people, let's, let's say, who come into your church or faith gathering or counseling office or small group are struggling consciously or, or subconsciously with loneliness. And there was a recent AARP study saying 35% of all adults over 45 experience isolation and loneliness. And say they do. 35%. I had a third. If you have three people, one of them struggles with loneliness. Adults. Um, and look, and there's two demographic segments that are statistically feeling it more than others. And, and that's the elderly. And then there's the youth, the young adults, teens to 35 or 40. But everyone is sensing it more than a decade ago. And why? Uh, One expert, uh, Sherry Turkle, who wrote Alone Together, writes this. We no longer live in the same village for generations, which means we don't have the same generational connections that releases social constraints. Relationships are formed and replaced more easily today. We have Tinder, Match, eHarmony, and all these kinds of places you can dial up and find friendships, connections, and opportunities that didn't exist. If you use social networks as a destination, as a replacement for the face-to-face, it increases loneliness. She continues, these days we expect more from technology than we expected from each other. Technology appeals to us where we are most vulnerable. We're lonely, but we're afraid of intimacy. And so, from social networks to social robots... We're designing technologies that will give us the illusion of companionship. Oh, my gosh. That give us the illusion of companionship. That can't be good, right? So illusion of companionships without the demands of friendship. We turn to technology to help us feel connected in ways we can comfortably control. But we're not so comfortable 
we are not so in control as Sherry Turkle alone together. Uh, there's a great video. Take a look uh, on the Internet, Innovation of Loneliness. Not a Christian video, but it's very powerful. And, and this is what it says. We are lonely, but we are afraid of intimacy. While the social networks offer three gratifying fantasies. One, we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. Well, that's just not real life, but that's what social networks offer us. Two, we will always be heard. Again, that's not real life, but that's what social networks offer us. And three, we will never have to be alone. Uh, Man, that's heaven. There's just no way we're going to experience that now. But that's what social networks advertise. That's the packaging. Uh, and, And the quote continues, we slip into thinking that always being connected is going to make us feel not alone. But just the opposite is true. So, uh, what is the good news that we have for ourselves first and for lonely others? Secondly, Christianityism, uh, dualism, deism would tell you to work harder, to believe more, to follow the principles, to choose to believe that it all rests upon your power and will. But... If you've fallen away, if, you've, uh, if your faith's diminished or in sin, then don't expect to feel less lonely because God is punishing you. He's withdrawing himself because he can't look upon sin and somehow mysteriously loves you less than before. God help us, man. That is so distant from the gospel. But, but that's the implication of Christianityism. You want God's love. Uh, then be more good. Sorry for the bad grammar. Do what Jesus would do, and and you'll get God's love again. It's up to you. And that's Christianityism, not the gospel. Again, the gospel says that if you've become a follower of Jesus Christ, if the Spirit of God dwells in your inner being, Ephesians 3, you're never alone, ever. And I'm not saying you will never feel isolated or lonely again. Uh, I can say that about heaven, eventually, but for now, this side of Jesus' return, you are never isolated or alone. And and there's ways to feel isolated and alone less. And that's what we're talking about in, in the, the dance. I'll say more about that. So let me put it a bit differently, maybe clearer. Because of what Jesus did for us, for me and you, Christians, 2,000 years ago, we are now intimately attached, relationally joined. It's an emotional uh, combination, em- relationally joined to the Trinity of God. No hesitancy from their side, no emotional boundaries from their side, no probation from their side. God adores us, you, as much as the Father adores the Son, and the Son adores the Father. It's it's a raging love affair. And this is not just a theological cognitive bumper sticker. This relational attachment is better than any and all relational attachments that we have here. This is true for you and me, even if we struggle with attachment wounds. And by the way, especially if we struggle with mommy and daddy and attachment wounds or anxiety or avoidance issues, this relationship is real. It is vulnerable. It is other-oriented, right? And it is for you more than your brain is comfortable with or mine or whether uh, more than our, that, that nasty, critical inner voice allows or is willing to hear. No worries. It's also very patient, this love, and it will grow upon you over time. The theologian John Calvin said, this is so great, book three of his institutes, said that this is the passion of the spirit in your inner being, his secret working, his wheelhouse to spend the rest of your days here 
being made to feel, to experience this relationship, this unique, uh, powerful, life-changing, uh, loneliness-ending relationship with God so that your midbrain will resist it less and less. And no doubt for many of us, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. It's, it's just our attachment style. But the spirit in you feels such a love for you and is committed to making you feel it too. Not perfectly this side of heaven, but noticeably, regularly. This good news is at least as good as the gift of heaven is to you. That's right. So heaven's good, but heaven without this relationship, without the experiential adoration of God towards you as you are, the love of God towards us as we are, will feel more like hell. Heaven will be heaven, not only because Jesus is there, but Jesus is there loving us. Jesus is there embracing us. A distant Jesus does not make heaven very uh, very wonderful, does it? And this is not the new plan of God, just New Testament or post-cross. For some reason, we have interpretively missed this relational, experiential, vulnerable, and intimate aspect of God towards broken, unbelieving, rebellious, hard-hearted people like us, but it is littered throughout the Old Testament. That's the claim I'm making for these, these next uh, couple of, of podcasts. So for today and for the next few podcasts, we're going to drill down upon a single repeated phrase that we in our familiarity, Old Testament, right? We just tend to gloss over it like we do for much of the Old Testament. Or we ascribe it uh, to to a deity, a God who's more like Mr. Spock of Star Trek, dry and cognitive, like a lawyer who speaks legalese. <laughs> and, and we miss that even then it was supposed to be interpreted as powerful, life-changing, intimate, a love affair for the people of Israel who heard it, and us today as we read it fresh. And here's the phrase, I am with you. I am with you. So here are the verses we're going to look at. I'm just going to read through them, give you a broad overview, and then in the next podcast, we'll drill down into the first one. So Genesis 26, 24, this is to Isaac. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Then Genesis 28:15 this is to Jacob I am with you God says and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you And again just real briefly just hear that as either casual cognitive or informative right or God's Love, and you can see it in his eyes, just how much he loves the deceiver Jacob. All right, Joshua 3, 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43, 5. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. Jeremiah uh, one eight. Uh, this is Jeremiah's call to minister to Israel in exile. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah one nineteen. Um, 
They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. Jeremiah 15.20. Jeremiah is loaded with I am with you. Jeremiah 15.20. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 30. Verse 11, I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. Jeremiah 42:11. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. Jeremiah 46:28. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. Haggai, whew, finally we get out of Jeremiah. Then Haggai, this is one thirteen. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. This is going to be really interesting. Uh, Haggai was sent by God to preach to the returned exiles when they had stopped the construction of the temple. Haggai 2.4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Well, is God just leaning over backwards and repeating himself over and over? I mean, I would have gotten impatient. He wanted to let stubborn, distracted, isolated, lonely uh, lacking enoughness, lacking connectedness, rebellious people, that he was with them. And that actually meant something, that they should have experienced a little bit less not enoughness and a little bit less disconnectedness. They should feel less shame and less lonely. They should have, right? It's radical at so many levels. Uh, I mean, there is no deity other than the God of Judah, uh, Yahweh, who keeps saying this to his people as as if He knew they desperately needed it, just like us. And the point is this, and I hope that this grouping of podcasts brings great encouragement to a lot of lonely people, isolated people, shamed people, people who who feel lacking, that they're lacking enoughness and connectedness. In the backwash, the context of this swirl of loneliness and isolation, this epidemic, many of whom don't feel like they're enough to be loved by God, not really, Uh, But the truth of the gospel, and this is in contrast to Christianityism, we offer and we can begin to personally experience a little or a lot right now the opposite of that loneliness, particularly related to our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And that's a game changer, right? I am with you. That phrase means it's more than locational, geographical, like he's living upstairs in the guest bedroom, or closeness, It's not limited by probation. There's no strings attached because Jesus already paid for those strings. It includes political covenant, legalism, lawyer speak. Like, like for instance, we have treaties with our European allies, and they could say we're with you and, and, and you're with us. It does include that. But the phrase spoken by God as he is, the God who is love, also includes 
the love and devotion that, that uniquely comes from the heart of God towards real, unlovable, disattached, maladaptive, attachment-styled people who, because of all of the attachment wounds that this world beats us up with, we, we have a difficult time experiencing that love and have a real hard time returning the favor. But God would still have us experience, not just be aware of or know or agree with, but would experience him with us and us with him. A relational, intimate, unique, love-packed love affair. He just doesn't know how to not be with us. Again, double negative, sorry for the bad grammar. He doesn't know how not to love us as we are, not as we should be or could be. It's hard for our brain, particularly our midbrain, where that nasty inner critical voice is, to, to process this. We've heard it before, and we've had the rug pulled out from underneath us. People who said they loved us, they had our backs, they'll never leave us, and they betrayed us. And that pain is in our memory bank. It's real. It, it hits our midbrain in the same location where physical pain is felt, and it resides stored away in our hippocampus where all pain and memories are stored away, memory and pain still embracing each other, ready to jump out when triggered. When somebody says, but I'm with you, I mean it this time, and bam, trigger. I get it, and and we will definitely need the power of God. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians 3, to push against that trigger, against that nasty critical voice. Again, we talk about that in the dance. and But fortunately, that's the Spirit's passion. And you, all we need to do is ask. We don't have the power to fix it, but he does. It's so simple. We just need to ask. So Christian, if you're feeling lonely or isolated right now, if you're struggling with attachment wounds, mommy and daddy wounds, and by the way, who isn't? If you're feeling the pain of isolation now for whatever reason, you can tap into the Holy Spirit in your inner being and, be, and ask and begin to feel less lonely, less isolated. And, and you will need power. Just like these characters from the Old Testament, we will begin to see, I mean, beginning at the very first one, Isaac, we'll see how quickly he forgot. Um, we just, we'll see. You'll see. It's interesting. It's a lot of fun. Uh, they were, after all, a bit of boneheads just like us. And they get it now, of course, outside of the dark, dehumanizing shadows of this world in heaven. They got this. And, and look. I get it. There may be a thousand reasons why you wouldn't believe that God is not only with you. Uh, that could be scary. Um, and listen, it's kind of like driving a little over the speed limit and you see a police cruiser and you feel shame and guilt. And, you know, th- that police cruiser is with you. And, and in one sense, it's good the police cruiser's out there protecting you. In another sense, right, shame and guilt hit. So I get it relationally being with us is not hasn't always been a positive experience but you have that wild card within your inner being who's not going anywhere who absolutely adores you the holy spirit and his passion his secret workings calvin says is to begin to give you access to power from god to just begin to experience the height and width and length and depth of the love of christ for you and for others in other words in in another phrase for you to experience what Everything that God with you entails that can push against that place in your inner brain where you are legitimately afraid to trust or to love or to be loved. Because let's face it, nothing has hurt us more than relationships and attachment wounds. All right, so how can you get into this dance? First, say the simple uncluttered gospel 
prayer twice a day. You can check it out on our website. Uh, say it twice a day during this podcast series. Just do it. Say this, the prayer aloud. If you have a, a friend who wants to get involved, who's going through the podcast with you, that's fantastic. Get together with them and have them say it, the simple uncluttered gospel aloud to you and you say it aloud to them because you're preaching the gospel uh, of God is with you uh, to that nasty critical inner spirit that we all have. And it works. The gospel is that powerful. Not perfectly, but noticeably. Then, hear this, go through the dance, the-dance.org, and go through the dance four or five times. It only takes two hours. It's worth the investment. We have intentionally designed the dance for those Christians who struggle with lack of enoughness and lack of connectedness, right? Our euphemisms for shame and loneliness. And think about it with me. If any of us got a shot of God being emotionally with us, relationally with us, unprobationally with us, for us, adoring us, uh, both our deeply entrenched sense of shame and painliness, both our deeply entrenched sense of shame and the pain of loneliness would be affected, would be diminished, shrunk a little or a lot. That's what we try to accomplish during the two hours, seven station, online, experiential journey for Christians. Does it work? Yes, we can scientifically prove it. And listen, it's a membership, so you have 30 days to do the dance as many times as you would like. It would be easy to do it four or five times. Just, I'm begging you, set aside your skepticism, your cynicism, your fears, the triggers, and just do it. It's money-back guaranteed, so honestly, what do you lose? Except maybe some of your loneliness and sense of isolation and shame. And like I said, we can prove that it works. The scientific results are on the Gospel App Ministry homepage, gospel-app.com. Well, okay, we will pick this up in the next podcast. We'll look at God is with you. Uh, and the story of Isaac. And you might be surprised just how similar the people were then uh, as compared to uh, us today. Well, see you then. Take heart, child of God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for working everything out for my good. Help me trust in your perfect plan. Amen. Father, thank you for loving and caring for me. With Christian prayer meditation, you can pray along to prayers based on specific topics. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Christian prayer meditation. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.